again. It really is great to have you. Thank you for making your way out on a, uh, on a lovely uh, Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning uh, here in Utah. Um, I am, uh, I'm excited about what God is doing and some great things that we have uh, in store for you, not the least of which is our uh, new youth pastor coming here in a couple of weeks, so very excited about that, so get ready, get ready youth for, uh, for that. Um, so we're in, in the uh, beginning stages of our, of our series uh, called Seven, Belief That Shapes Our Faith, and uh, we're talking about some of the stories that John records in the book of John and the miracles that are signs that lead to Jesus. Um, and I, th- I thought I would just share with you a couple of things uh, that are, uh, I don't know, kind of, kind of miracles, right? Just things, parts of stories that you go, okay, God, you're at work. Um, this actually comes from my journal, February 3rd, 2017, um, that morning, uh, praying for a young lady by the name of Katie, who was found out, I think the day before, or a couple of days before that, uh, aggressive form of cancer on her legs, and the doctors were incredibly concerned uh, that that was going to uh, spread very quickly. Um, but as the church got together, and we were praying for him, and so we said, waiting for, uh, for some answers from the docs to see the next step, but praying for a miracle to take place, one that confounds the doctors. That was Friday, February 3rd, 2017. Uh, we left uh, that church, um, uh, Calvary West left that uh, back in uh, September of 2018, and she was doing well at that point. But I just kind of flipped through uh, Facebook. You know what Facebook is? I flipped through Facebook and, uh, and found her again, and uh, she is doing fantastic, no cancer, and I uh, really trust the Lord in her life for that to continue. And then this past Thursday, had a really crazy thing happen at uh, Food Share. Now, Food Share is something we do uh, every Thursday afternoon. Uh, we help feed, uh, you know, literally hundreds of people. Uh, they come driving through, and we provide, uh, provide food for them. And uh, this, uh, we normally get about 15 pallets of food that we give out. 15 pallets, like pallets, you know, four, four by whatever, big old pallets of food that we give out. And that serves about 150 to 170 uh, families. Well, on Thursday, we ended up with eight pallets, I think is what that number was, and two of the pallets had food that was not worth serving. Let's just put it that way, and so that was uh, jettisoned and set aside, so we're left with like five, uh, maybe six pallets that we were able to do, and so a bit of concern on those who were there and and talking to Natasha about this after the fact, um, a lot of concern and going, okay, God, uh, we need to see you multiply that. Well, on Thursday... Uh, we believe that God really worked and we were able to serve over 200 families and we did not run out of food. So that's a beautiful thing. And I was on the line <laughs> for those who were there. But, but I mean, on the, right, awesome, God is at work and we believe that he works in big ways and in small ways. How many of you need a miracle in your life? Right, raise your hand, look at that. Yeah, we all do, right? I mean, in, in some ways. Uh, so turn your Bibles, please, to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And again, I want to encourage you, either have your physical Bible with you or use your smart device. Uh, it's important that you are able to navigate the Word of God for yourself so you can double-check what I'm saying to make sure what I'm saying is right. So uh, please, check the Word out for yourself. But we'll have it up here on the screens and then obviously online uh, as well. So John chapter 4. Now Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. 
So this is the same place we talked last week, water being turned into wine. This is the same city where that happened, and so that story is probably still circulating uh, around. Jesus had gone from that miracle of the water turned into wine and made his way uh, through various cities into Jerusalem, and then he begins to make his way back to Cana, excuse me, in, in uh, Galilee. Now in Capernaum, so this is another, another city, in Capernaum there was a certain royal official whose son was sick. When he had heard that Jesus had come back from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and begged him to come down and heal his son who was about to die. So Jesus said to him, and this seems kind of harsh, Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. How do you think Jesus is being kind of tough in that moment, right? There's kind of that weird moment there, like, I wonder, you know, Jesus, are you not about making people feel good about themselves? You know, come on, Jesus. Uh, But Jesus might actually have been just stating a matter of fact, rather than making any statement about these individuals who were right there, that we as humans value our sight. We value what we see. Um, Where else would we get, uh, get that idea of seeing is right? Seeing is believing. That, that's something that we hold on to, and when we see it, we believe it, even though we recognize uh, from a couple of weeks ago, remember the, uh, the, the gorilla, the moonwalking gorilla, for those of you who remember that thing, right? We can sometimes miss something that's uh, incredibly obvious. So I don't think Jesus was necessarily making a statement uh, that's, in, that's incredibly negative here, because if it was, and, this, and if this was meant to be some sort of prescription, Uh, he would have not performed any other signs or any other miracles while he was on earth just to have a purer kind of faith, right? If that was the point. So so that's not really the point, him saying, I'm not going to show you anything. But there's something in the human nature, and we've talked about this a bit, right? There's something in human nature we want those things to rest our faith on. And so the story today actually, um, I think, provides a counter uh, to that and in our culture. So from the world of science... 50% of our brain is used in visual processing. 50% of your brain right now is visual processing. That's pretty awesome. And then 70% of our sensory receptors of all of our, you know, feel, you know, all that stuff. um, 70% of our sensory receptors are in our eyes. 70%. That's how, this is how we interact with the world primarily is through the visual. And in one-tenth of a second, we have a good grasp of our... If you go into like a a room you've never been in before, in one-tenth of a second, you can have a good idea of where everything is. In just one-tenth... That's how powerful our visual is. And so what we see is incredibly important. Jesus knows this. And throughout throughout the Gospels, we see this whole idea uh, kind of um, coming back to the surface a number of times. You remember Thomas in uh, John chapter 20. There's this point where Thomas says, unless I see with my own eyes, and he goes, unless I touch with my own hands the, the scars that are on Jesus, I will not believe. Now, Jesus doesn't rebuke him. What does Jesus do? Jesus shows him the scars that are in his hand, lifts up the side. He shows him the, uh, where the spear went into his side. But Jesus proclaimed there's something powerful, though, about faith that doesn't require sight. A little bit later on, uh, the very first time that Jesus called his disciples in John chapter 1, what did he say? He said, come and see. 
So he knows that this is incredibly important for us. We're made this way. Later on, Philip and Nathaniel, they do the same thing. They say, Philip invites his, uh, his brother. Uh, Nathaniel says, come and see. The woman at the well in, in John chapter 4, just before what we're reading today, um, when Jesus begins to kind of pick at her life and reveals things in her life, she goes to the city, that little town there in Samaria, goes there and says, come and see what this prophet has told me. So there's something powerful about things that we see. So put yourself in the place of this man, right? This royal official. He's a, a father finds, who has a son who is sick, we find out in the story. Now this man is coming from Capernaum. Capernaum is about 20 miles away from Cana. Now 20 miles in first century, uh, the first century world is very different than the 20 miles today. How many of you drove about 20 miles to come here to service uh, today. So 20, 20, 20 miles plus, all right. So about 20 miles. And you made that, depending on, you know, whatever, made that in about 20 minutes or 16, depending on how you drive, right, okay? And uh, you're running late and like gonna blow, those, blow that traffic, traffic light. Um, but 20 miles back then was walked. Or you might have a horse or a donkey or something like that. But 20 miles seemed very long at that point. And somehow this royal official had heard about this guy, Jesus, who was making his way back to Cana. So we don't know exactly what this royal official knew about Jesus. We know that Jesus had just spent some time down in Jerusalem, and he had shown some authority in the temple uh, by overturning the, uh, the money changers in the, uh, in the temple. And so maybe he heard the story about that. Maybe the story of the wedding at Cana had gotten back, but that story seemed kind of private. So we're not really sure, but somehow this guy from Capernaum found out about Jesus, and he was desperate. One of the things that's interesting is in this whole story, we don't see anything of statements of faith by this royal official. You don't see anything there about making his life right before he asked Jesus this request for his son. You don't see anything about uh, living properly in order to get God on his side or making, uh, making some, sort of, um, uh, some sort of deal with God. All you see is a desperate father trying to get an answer for his son so when jesus makes a statement about the need for signs signs and wonders to believe uh the dad kindly disregards it and continues on with what he is asking to jesus he speaks directly to jesus this time john 4 verse 49 sir the official said to him come down before my child dies you can sense it just in the way that he is speaking that there's desperation, there's an urgency. Maybe this dad is on his knees before Jesus begging him. Maybe we've been there in our own life, we faced that desperate moment, a child who is sick and there's no answer, a financial need that presents itself for which we have no answer, a job is lost, maybe a test failed that is required for advancement in your field and because you failed it, your career is done, that that's as far as you go. You're saying, okay, God, I am, I am in a desperate, urgent situation. Remember uh, years ago when I was uh, probably 13 years of age uh, with my family in California, 
my aunt and uncle had a, uh, had a boat, and so we would go out on the boat for about, I don't know, a couple of weeks uh, and, and visit the Channel Islands. If you don't know what those are, really beautiful little islands off the coast of California. And so uh, during the summers, when I probably 82, 83, uh, kind of uh, floating around, sailing around there. And we come up to this one island, and we hopped into, and when I say we, it was me, my brother, my cousin, and I think one other was, uh, was with us on this particular thing, all teenage boys. Recipe for success right there. I mean, that is... Res- and so we, we, uh, we get in the rubber dinghy. You know what that is, rubber dinghy? So a little boat, a little rubber boat with a little engine on the end of it. And uh, um, on the stern, if I'm going to be correct. And uh, so, so we're going in there. And we notice that the waves are a little bit larger as we got closer than what we realized. But we are four teenage boys. We got this. So we start looking at a little bit of wisdom sets in. We go, okay, we can see that there's sets that come in, if you've ever been in the ocean, usually there's like sets that come in, and, and so like there were like three or four that were large, and then two or three that were small, and we're like, okay, when the smaller ones come in, right, after the big ones, then we are good and set to go, we'll gun it, and we'll make our way in, so one big one, two big ones, three big ones, fourth big one comes in, and we're like, yes, we got this, number five was on its way, and we didn't realize that, and so we get in, and we look behind us to this massive, I don't know, 10, 15 foot wave, and we're there, Four boys, teenage boys, ready for the adventure of a lifetime, right? And in, uh, in California, there's something called kelp. I've got a picture for you. You know what kelp is, right? So it's, it's underwater. And from time to time, that kelp can, you know, it breaks off and it makes its way to the shore. And so not only was it a large wave that crashed us into the beach, but now we are wrapped up in this kelp, weighing us down. Under, I mean, it was just kind of a, uh, a moment where teenagership is not a good thing. And so uh, we were there. And, and honestly, I mean, it was one of those moments where uh, I did have an urgency for oxygen, kind of necessary in, in, uh, to be able to survive, and, uh, but getting tumbled by the next wave and the next wave, and you're wrapped up in this, and you really do begin to think, this next wave is the last one. This is it, and I'm, you know, you're wondering, trying to figure out where everybody is. Well, you can probably tell by the fact I'm here how the story ended up, so I, I survived it. I, I did survive it, but there was that urgency, right? I mean, trying to push against everything you've got to get to that oxygen, and I have a feeling that this dad is in that same boat, right? I have got to get to Jesus. I've got to have an answer. So the man is in this position of desperation, and uh, Jesus says this. I love this. Jesus says this. Go home. Now remember, the guy had said, "Uh, Jesus, why don't you come home with me? And Jesus says, you go home. Because this, your son will live. And it says, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he set off for home. What did the man have to go on at this point? He had nothing, right? He, he really had nothing. He, he didn't know this Jesus, potentially. He just heard about him from a distance, heard the stories. All that he had was faith. All he had was a hope that was undaunting as a dad concerned for his son. We have no indication uh, that Jesus had any more to say to this guy. We have no idea exactly how that all transcribed or transpired in that moment. 
Uh, but one of the interesting things is the way that it's written in, uh, in the book of John, most of our translations say, your son will live. It's just the way that our, our language works. But the reality is this could actually be shortened because it is a, a present verb is, is kind of how it's described in Greek. It's a present action verb, okay? And uh, what this basically could be translated is, go home, your son lives. Not in the future, not something to wait for, that at that moment, your son lives. And this royal official takes Jesus at his word. It's a simple fact. It's a present reality. Um, and I want you to know that this is what God does. God speaks. From the first pages of Genesis all the way to the very, very last paragraph in the book of Revelation, God is speaking. And one of the things that he is, uh, he is known for in Romans chapter 4, verse 17, and this is Paul talking about Abraham, and so there's some, some theology going on here about who Abraham is, but this is a great, uh, something great that we can hold on to. This is the God who makes the dead alive and summons the things that do not yet exist as though they already do. This healing that did not exist for this son, Jesus spoke and he said, your son lives. And it says, Abraham believed in hope with the result that he became the father of many nations according to the pronouncement, according to what was spoken, so will your descendants be. Now, obviously, this goes back to Genesis 12, 13, 14, right in there, so there's a lot more to this, but this is what God does. God speaks to your situation. God speaks hope. God speaks healing. God speaks abundance. God speaks generosity. Whatever that need is, God is able to speak into it. And so for this man, desperate for an answer, what was the journey like for him? Those 20 miles from Cana back down to Capernaum. What was going through his mind? It's not written down, but I think we can speculate pretty well. What goes through your mind in that season in between when you're waiting for an answer from God? God, did I really hear you? God, are you real? <laughs> you ever asked that question before of God? It's great, right? God, are you, are you real? Can I, can I really trust what you just said? And, and I'm sure as he took every, step by step by step, that wonderment and bewilderment probably uh, was rising up within him as he's trying to figure out, did I make the right choice for my son? Now it does say that he walked away from there believing, right? He believed and made his way home. So we know something was going on there, but the crazy thing about this is that this guy's faith was not based on anything that he saw. Right? Jesus had just said, you know, if you, you need something to see in order to believe, right? That's what he's getting onto. And so this guy takes Jesus at his word and said, I don't have to see it. I believe what you said. Man, that's powerful. When we have that kind of faith, that's just like Abraham, right? That's just, just like the faith of this royal official. And some of you, that is a word for you. But it starts with faith. And then you see. Um, 
The author of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. Hopefully this verse comes to life with us with this royal official. This is his story. This is the faith that Jesus wants to bring for each one of us. For this man, every step he took was faith. That in between time, that's where that faith is lived out. For you, waiting for the healing of a son or a daughter, waiting for a financial need to be, net, to be met every single day that you move on, right? Move on with the promise of who Jesus is. That is a step of faith that you take. And we're all in different parts of this journey, right? I mean, some of us, this is brand spanking new, right? This, this is brand new to us, and we wonder, did Jesus really change my life? Others of you, you've been a Christian for longer than, than dinosaurs have been off the earth, right? Okay, you've been a Christian forever, and yet you're still walking out faith on a daily basis. That's what's beautiful about faith. So, uh, these miracles that we need for our lives, how do we step out in faith and in trust the same way that this royal, royal official did? All that he did was took Jesus at his word. That's it. That's all that he did. And Jesus said other things. Uh, one time he says, uh, neither do I condemn you, talking to the woman that was caught in adultery. I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. For some of you, that's a word that you need to hold on to directly from the mouth of Jesus himself. You might not understand it, might not fully grasp all that it is, but there is something about this that builds our faith when we have screwed up. Jesus, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus said that. Jesus gave himself for you. You don't have to earn your way to heaven. You don't have to do all the right things in order for God to love you. God loves you. God loves you. That requires faith, right? There's a, there's a whole side of that, our belief in him and things like that. But God loves you. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you've lost your way in this life, turn to Jesus. Need to know what truth is? Turn to Jesus. Need real life? Turn to Jesus. So all the words of Jesus, they carry with them the power to bring what is not to now a reality, and Jesus says, your son lives. John chapter 4, verse 51. While the royal official was on his way down, and uh, he met, his slaves met him and told him that a son was going to live. The same structure is there. Uh, basically, it should be the, the uh, slaves tell him, your son lives. So that's, that's that whole idea. So he asked them uh, the time when, this, when his condition began to improve. And they told him, yesterday at one o'clock in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized it was the very time Jesus had said to him, your son will live, or your son lives. At 1 p.m. on that afternoon, Jesus' words came true 20 miles away in the city of Capernaum, and a young boy's fever was broken in that moment. Okay, Jesus didn't have to touch this individual. Jesus didn't have to go there in person. The power and the authority of the words that Jesus speaks, that was enough. It says that, um, uh, and he said to him, your son lives. 
And he himself believed. So there's this idea of kind of a growing faith happening in the life of this royal official. He already believed, but now he believes differently, right? There's, there's a fullness to the belief that started in faith, something he didn't see, now to something that he sees when his son is able to wrap his arms around his dad and say, thank you, dad, for going to Jesus, right? So there's something about seeing that empowers our faith and those things together. The other crazy thing in the story is, and I love this, it says, and he himself believed along with his entire household. Folks, our faith is not just for us, right? Our, our faith, the walk that we have today is not just for us. It's for the generation coming up behind us, for our own kids. It's for the generation past that to grandkids. We've got our... said anything about this, but we have our first grandson on the way in about three weeks, I think, or something like that. Right? So our faith lived out today, even if we saw nothing, our faith lived out today empowers the next generation. We see this right here. His entire household comes to a new faith in Jesus based on the story that's told of this young man. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. Um, one of the great things is I love that, that phrase, your son lives, just the way that Jesus speaks that, right? And then the, uh, the servants come and they speak that same phrase three times, that idea, your son lives. And you can't help but wonder for those who were reading the book of John or having it read to them in those early churches, if they didn't grasp the significance, really the eternal significance uh, given there by Jesus himself, uh, that proclamation made of him, that Jesus, the son of the living God, right? The father, your son lives, right? Jesus lives today and he wants to impact your world now, right? He wants to impact a situation in your life now. And so are there, is there a circumstance in your life that you need, you need to have Jesus speak to it, to speak what is not as though it is, right? To change a reality, this is that whole story today. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads for just a moment. You're here this morning and you'd say, Pastor, uh, I am up against a circumstance, maybe a dark time. Uh, there is a sickness. There is something going on physically that needs healing. I've got a friend or a family member. Maybe there's a financial thing that has just overshadowed you and you find no way out and you need Jesus to speak hope to you. Maybe it's a marriage that is completely in shambles and you are here today as a last resort saying, Jesus, unless you do something, this marriage is over. Maybe a child that's far away from Jesus. Jesus wants to speak to your reality to bring hope. And then just like the, uh, the royal official, it's that first step right into that new reality that Jesus is calling you to. So if that's you and you say, Pastor, I've got that need in my life and I know I need a miracle, I need Jesus to come through on my behalf, can you just lift your hand really quickly? Thank you. Thank you. Lots of hands up. 
I don't know. I know some of your stories. When I see your hands, I know some of the stories. But man, there's a lot of you that I do not know your stories. But every one of your hands that are up, they represent a new opportunity for Jesus to show himself to be the powerful, authoritative son of God and to speak into your life something that is new, something miraculous, and something that is hope-filled that's going to change your life but not just yours, this generation to come. They need to see faith lived out. And so, Father, you see every one of these hands that are lifted up. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that you, O oh God, would overshadow them with your grace and your mercy. Father, for those who need the miracle of healing, we ask God for healing. Interrupt the process uh, that, um, of death in these moments, God, and bring healing to these families, bring healing to these individuals. God, for marriages that need to be restored, God, we ask that you would stop uh, bad activity in their, uh, in, the tra- in their tracks. God, that you would cause there to be repentance, that forgiveness would be given, and Lord, marriages would be restored. Children that are away from you, God, bring them back to faith in Jesus Christ. God, we trust you with every bit of our lives. Lord, I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you, God, that you are beginning to move even now in these circumstances. God, where there was no hope walking into today, God, you are bringing a new measure of hope and faith. And God, just like the, uh, the, the, uh, this royal official, God, we don't have to see it in front of us, in front of us for us to believe it. But God, we do ask for confirmation down the road that God, you are at work within us. Lord, I thank you that you're a faithful and a loving God. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna invite us really quickly to pray for one individual. We don't often do this, uh, but there is an individual here at Life Church. His name is uh, Charlie Hall. Many of you know Charlie Hall. He leads our men's ministry. He's currently in the hospital. Uh, COVID uh, has really racked him, and uh, he is not doing well. Doctors are very, very concerned, and Geraldine is concerned as well. Uh, we have had a little bit of good news today, uh, but uh, we are believing for a miracle in Charlie Hall's life, and he's on that ventilator now, and we're asking that that goes away very quickly, and strength is restored to him. So I think it'd be great if we prayed for Charlie, and that we know there are many others perhaps who need a healing touch and uh, you can also just receive healing as well in this time. And so Father, together as Life Church Utah, we lift up Charlie Hall to you. We pray God for your healing upon his life. We ask Jesus that you would raise him up and that God as the family of God as we uh, together in faith believe for a, uh, for a miracle. God, let that miracle extend uh, to his family, to his kids. Uh, Lord, also to other families here at Life Church, God, who are believing for a miraculous healing in their own lives. Lord, let it be that we experience more of you because God, you've called us to lead the people of the valley to be more like you, Jesus. And so help us to take you at your word, Lord, and to live according to your faithful promises. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray your blessing upon your people as we leave from here today. Uh, God, be honored in the way that we live. And the Lord, help us to be able to proclaim the faithful life of Jesus Christ everywhere, everywhere we go. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Don't miss next week. It's going to be a great message, so God bless you.